Welcome to Machine Learning. I'm out walking around now and we're going to talk about uh, startups, AI startups. There are so many AI startups that uh, have great ideas and they actually provide value. And that's the thing that is amazing. And uh, I was, there was a question on Stack Overflow that was asking what uh, area to research in machine learning and AI, deep learning. And my response was, whatever the customer will pay you for, learn that technology that will help reduce the pain of the customer. And that comes from a book called uh, Boomstart. And he points out that you don't need to necessarily develop the technology. The technology may already exist. You apply the technology area where you're trying to solve a particular problem and if the problem can be solved with a certain degree of accuracy then you can bring that to market and uh, use that for the customer to reduce down pain especially in areas where things were done manually if you could accelerate that process through automation either through an assistant or it's using templating some sort of pattern matching to improve the uh, the rate in which you can uh, do the data entry or you're uh, attempting to uh, reduce or analyze existing documentation then, then that's great all right there's a startup company called Falconry and uh, Falconry applies machine learning to operational tasks. 2% of manufacturing data is being analyzed. Falconry fills the gap. That is uh, very fascinating. So what that means is 98% of the data that's coming in is not being analyzed. It's just being stored in where in uh, in data lakes, and um, it's accumulating. And at some point in the future, the analytics will be applied to it. But it's not being done now because there's such a limited resource. You have a, a limited resource in terms of people who are skilled in data science, advanced mathematics, uh, analytic skills to analyze the data, discover the structure, and uh, utilize it. Well, one, one of the big problems I've seen, especially after working so long in, in data, is that we, you don't have 100 tables, you have 10,000 tables. You have 100,000 tables probably now, because ERPs have got so large, and everything is segmented into different silos. Some some uh, modules uh, interconnect well with other modules and some don't there's uh, they're, they're uh, like separate islands and finding out how to make those connections uh, is an engineering feat in itself and plus you don't have the domain knowledge a lot of times as a computer scientist you're, you're uh, uh, looking at it 
from the machine perspective, how it's, uh, the algorithms are running, how data is being transforming, but you don't actually understand the business side. And so uh, a lot of times you'll see equations or formulas or different uh, indicators in the data that are, are used uh, to indicate certain type of behavior. So you're, you're interpreting the behavior of the business from the data. And you don't really know what is important. So you take a list of, let's say, 100 features. That's be very generous. It could be up in the thousands of features. And uh, you're looking at what is interesting or important to the company. And so that, that uh, what a lot of data scientists want to do is be have a closer loop with the customer. They're constantly wanting to have meetings and, and understand the business process. And so there's a lot of demand for business analysts that can show how their process works, how the ERP or mainframe ingests data, how it uh, processes that data. And then you have literally millions of parameters inside of a really large company where things can change and knowing what those parameters do uh, is, is part of the analyst job. And so now when you come in uh, for, with new perspective, you know, how does a machine statistically figure out that, uh, what is important? That's where we get the unsupervised learning. And just like I was talking about uh, in one of my YouTubes about K nearest neighbor, is that once you've done your K means nearest clustering and your elbow and figured out, you know, kind of which, how many features um, are critical and what the turn point is from the centroids. So you can figure out, okay, now I've got, uh, different groups of clusters and then once you uh, do your visualization on your data then you can apply your K nearest and make predictions on that with really high degree of accuracy because it's using a distance function and it's uh, and it's working a lot like your your centroids so you know again going back to this data lake uh, concept. Well, what is a data like? It's really big data. What's big data? Well, it's data so large that it will not fit inside of a single machine's memory. So how do they accomplish putting something, extra, extracting data that's that large? Uh, they do partitioning and with partitioning they they do uh, um, <coughs> They're using the, the data that's partitioned across different clusters, and these clusters or nodes represent a different server, and then tasks are run on these nodes or servers, and they return back data, and the data comes back in the form of a collection. So it reminds me of the day when I used to work on FamilySearch.org, where we had lots of Java agents that were running 
pulling data and then it was pulling it inside of a uh, of a collection and then that large collection which uh, was then returned back to the client on the or the ASP and then the displayed out to the client and so you know we had you know say 10,000 concurrent users at a time that were accessing the server and so that server um, was running really fast it, you know it run and process you know quickly this information and then it returned back the collection that is a lot like the way the hive works Spark on the Spark server is that you have a set of machines and then they have data that's partitioned off on those machines and then you're going to return everything back as an RDD, uh, uh, RDD file type and then you can apply that to the machine learning and the machine learning the ML lib file it's a little different because you can have you know data frames and then you can have the machine learning pipeline and uh, it's a little different from your sklearn which is for small data sets this is for your large data sets where you're going to apply machine learning to it and you and uh, maybe on some unsupervised learning with uh, k-means clustering and you're going to discover what's important in the data and uh, those trends in the data might be telling you that there are certain defects that are occurring uh, at certain times. Maybe there are certain points of the machine cycle where there's, there's uh, sudden spikes in, uh, in frequency. Maybe that's an indication that things are getting too cold and things are starting to vibrate some stress vectors that are accumulating and then you're noticing that in the data and those trends uh, those observable trends need to be uh, highlighted so you, you probably have some sort of uh, threshold or band where you say okay these are normal operation parameters you know we're monitoring this and anytime uh, we detect things going outside of that we can kind of predict it. Now, one area that I found really interesting the other day was I was watching this AI, and it was watching soccer. Now, this kind of has got me baffled on how it did the uh, prediction, but it had this uh, uh, curve, and the curve looked like almost like an intention. Like, the more intense the intention... Uh, based on the position of the ball, the position of the uh, the two teams, the uh, the offensive team, the defensive team, and uh, probability of them kicking and scoring, the higher the curve went. And what was fascinating is there were two times, or one time prior, where it almost hit the red line, which meant it should have been a, a, a field goal. And the defensive team blocked it and then they reset the offensive team uh, reset and then they attempted again to kick the ball and they managed to kick the ball in and uh, the curve was really close 
to the red line and then it hit the red line after a few seconds after the ball had uh, been kicked in. And so it made me wonder if it was um, training on the behavior of the players. In other words, it did some sort of uh, CNN object recognition tagging where it was watching different players and positions of players and so forth. Or if it was running an LSTM attention network where as the configurations changed, certain configurations and locations and ball positions uh, were creating higher attention. So it remembered that if the ball was within a kicking range to the goal and there weren't defenders uh, in front of the goal, maybe that was a high intention if, if, the, if, the, if the team was shifting from the left side of the field to the right. Well, now if you could apply that to big data, maybe there you would apply the attention algorithm to the whole large data set. So you've got, you know, let's say a thousand different features that uh, the IoT devices are collecting, you know, humidity, temperature, infrared, uh, vibration, uh, electromagnetic. Uh, there could be, you know, other things that we can't hear, sonic, like maybe there's a certain decibel rate that it's, it's gathering information. So there's lots of different types of information in our environment that it could be gathering. Uh, it could be gathering uh, changes in barometric pressure, changes in um, uh, the amount of luminance in the environment, etc. Uh, whatever measurements, you know, it could be gathering. and Maybe it was just within the capability of the device to gather all that information, but it, it's collecting it and transmitting it back to the, the data lake and being stored. <clears throat> now we run PySpark and we run across the hive. We get the RDD data. It's massively parallel process. It can, it can pull in all these billions of rows of data and, uh, and then we're processing it in our data model. And we're watching, maybe from a time series, we're watching how things are changing over time. Like I talked about with the, the drone that you know, flies over and then it identifies what's changed in the environment and you know, brings attention to the objects that are changed and then it generates a natural language summary of, of the scripting that it's creating. And maybe it's creating a script of uh, the object its dimension, um, change any p potential differences in orientation between one time and another. So maybe it's doing a comparative of, of images in that same time frame as it elapsed uh, maybe 24 hours earlier and, uh, and uh, noting uh, differences in angle or displacement. <laughs> so the, you know, all that could be generated in uh, text streams and uh, and then uh, using the LSTM networks, uh, generalize, generalizing and finding out what, what's important, you know, throwing away what's not important and keeping what is important and summarizing and then bringing that uh, summary to our attention. So then the IoT then becomes this real-time interpretation of what is changing in our environment and why 
those changes are important and that becomes uh, very significant. So you see as we, as we move into the 21st century, the AI is not going to be this generalized intelligence that's going to destroy humanity, but AI will be a tool where we can, we can query it and inquire and receive uh, information in the form that we can understand and then we can make decisions or we can uh, adjust directives or directions for the AI for additional studies. And so, you know, um, I think uh, capitalizing on that uh, trend is important. Okay, there's another company, and an AI company, and its name is Forethought. And uh, this was started up by... Um, wanted to, I think it was biology, maybe when he was, he was a high school student anyway, he wrote an AI to quiz him on biology, and it kind of just stuck with him that maybe he could use AI as a augmented tool, extension of the mind, and uh, it could be used to help uh, individuals become a genius. So he said, forethought helps everyone become a genius at their work. Can we use AI to help people with their work? That was the question he had. And uh, so he, he divides things into information and task. And information might be things like articles. It might be sentiment analysis. It could be uh, phrases that... Uh, customer service could, could uh, reply with, but it's basically this assistant that sits there and, and it evaluates your performance, how well you did, uh, it evaluates your conversation, it looks at conversations that were successful, conversations that weren't successful, if it tries to figure out, you know, what was it in the conversation that was successful, maybe it was the uh, positive affirmations that the person was giving. So it's looking at, you know, maybe frequency counts of certain type of positive words, negative words. Maybe it was too technical and not uh, empathetic enough. And so, you know, you can identify employees that are, are non-empathetic and non-relating to uh, in their communication to other human beings and not making the emotional connections that they need to. And so uh, he wanted to, he, he basically said, everyone has an information problem. And uh, that, that's a true statement. We do have that information problem. Even though we, ha we live in a day and age where we've got huge servers, got thousands and billions of servers on the cloud, we've got gigabytes of data, we've got terabytes, pentabytes, exobytes, you know. Uh, and yet, you know, we're, we're still, uh, you know, we haven't got zettabytes yet, but you know, that will happen eventually. We'll have zettabytes. And we have all this information, but yet everyone has this information problem. Either we have so much information no one understands at all, or we have information, but it's so compartmentalized and segmented, it's hard to get at and retrieve. So, you know, Getting access to that information is an intelligence problem. It's a search problem. So he wanted to go to market 
Uh, his thing was to customer support is an important part of the customer's experience. Automating tasks and assisting employees answering questions. It's just like writing code. And because code has to be accurate. You know, it has to, it's discrete, it has predictable results, and it has expectations. So you, you give an answer, it has to have a predictable response. Yes, that's the information I want, or no, that is not contextually correct. You misunderstand what I'm saying. So that feedback then, uh, we have to assess, you know, what is it that we said that um, that when we summarized, we didn't quite catch what they were saying. Well, I was talking to a gentleman the other day, and he was talking about um, he was talking about how he um, had told uh, his friend that uh, fools mock, but they'll mourn. And I misinterpreted what he was saying was that you know he had a gospel rebuttal but in actuality what he was doing was chastising his friend and telling him that his friend uh, you know uh, was mocking him and and uh, he would mourn so I, I, I didn't uh, accurately think about you know what his words were saying and the emotion that he was trying to communicate and later on he said I may have misunderstood you may have misunderstood me but what I was trying to say was trying to say is I was putting my friend in his place and kind of knocking him on his butt and you know it caught the attention of the people around him and a lot of the people around him got gained uh, immediately immediate respect for him that he stood up to this uh, 6'5 Marine and uh, and uh, he, he didn't back down from his principles so again you know here here's an example of uh, communication gap a misunderstanding and uh and that misunderstanding then uh, uh caused him to say you know that he didn't feel like i understood what he said so uh those are those are definitely uh things that you know are are needed to be done so ai can be a companion tool or for knowledge work ai can leap forward in 2017 with forethought started the squad data set from Stanford helped NLP with question and answer. And NLP is starting to industrialize. BERT was the state-of-the-art NLP model of human uh, language natural tasks. Today, I think that that's been replaced by GPT because, you know, BERT, I think it had, what, maybe 3 million parameters. And GPT has uh, 175 billion, used 500 billion words. And I'm sure we'll have a new generation of GPT where it can do more uh, mechanical reasoning also. That's one of the things that has been critical about GPT-3 is that, you know, it can, it can parrot a lot of information. It can summarize information. It can give answers to questions. And some of them are perceived to be accurate and others are not. But when you ask, okay, if I have a cat, a pencil, and... Uh, eraser in a box and I remove the cat and the eraser what's in the box and it says uh, a pencil and an eraser you know the logic on that is bad it's not it's not reasoning it's not listening and for some reason its algorithm is drawing the wrong conclusions so it you know with that type of deductive reasoning uh, it seems like that they could apply 
mechanical reasoning also to GBD3 and uh, see if, you know, maybe have two competing networks, one of the GPT summarization and one of the mechanical reasoning. And if the mechanical reasoning is better, then, uh, you know, just have it uh, take a higher precedence than, uh, than just the textual summarization. Okay, next one is hyperscience. Hyperscience automates data entry and extracts uh, data from documents in a more automated manner. Handwritten text to the digital text. Their customer group is healthcare and financial, and some client processes over 1 million documents a month. So you can see, you know, if you have data entry, that's a very boring task. It takes a lot of concentration to work all day doing data entry. And there isn't much variation. So you see, you know, different people's names. And then you have to keep certain quotas. So it's kind of like an assembly line is what it is. As you've got an assembly line where, the, you know, you have a human being who's looking at the, the characters and then they're translating them into digital text and then processing that information so that that startup is uh, gain money